Cool. Well, since it is Graduate Sunday, they were like, hey, get Eric to go up there. He knows how to talk to him. So here I am. No, just kidding. Um, no, it's a privilege and honor to be up here uh, this morning. And, um, you know, I really believe that God has something to speak to us this week through the text. As I read it, I was like, wow, this is an intense passage of scripture. How is this going to connect? But I really think that God wants to speak through God's word this morning and talk to you. And also, he wants to speak to the graduates this morning. And so, I'm just really excited about that. We've been going through the series called Tethered, and we have been going through the gospel of Mark. And we've really had a front row seat to see, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of seeing the disciples walk with God, to walk with Jesus, and to know him, just to learn from him, just to experience him, and just to be tethered more and more to him. And as I think about being tethered to Jesus, it's like you've got this rope, right? I think of two tethers, and I was just thinking about this this week. Um, there's this tether that happens naturally when you truly come to know the Lord. It's called being born again. And the Bible says that God takes out a, a heart of stone, takes that out of you, and he puts in a heart of flesh, a heart that responds to God, a heart that is, that all of a sudden you didn't care about your sin, you didn't care like what you were doing, but then all of a sudden now you care because now you're in a relationship with God. So there's a natural tether that happens as soon as you come to know Jesus. All of a sudden you hate your sin, all of a sudden you love God, and you you want to be connected with him. It's just like something that naturally happens. Then also, there's another tether, and it's one where you can kind of pull yourself closer through God's word. We're all on this road called getting closer to Jesus and growing in our faith, and sanctification is the big word, where we grow in Christ's likeness. And so as we get into the word and as we draw closer to God, he'll draw near to us, and we can our tether can grow closer and stronger and we can get more and more in line with Jesus. So that's what we're talking about. And we're going to jump right into God's word and we're going to be in Mark chapter 7. But as we jump into this, I want you to know that there's a big idea in this passage and the big idea is that we must be loyal to Jesus. We must be loyal to Jesus. And so would you stand with me? We're going to read God's word together as a congregation, would you stand with me? Everybody stand up, and we will have the verse up on the screen. So this is from Mark chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, you can grab that. Mark chapter 7, it's on the screen as well, verses 1 through 13. Let's read it together. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes and had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. And for all the Jews who do not eat unless their hands were washed properly, holding to the tradition of the elders, and when they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men." You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the command of God in establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you have gained from me is korban, as is given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition, you have handed down and many such things you do. You may be seated. 
wow, this is a crazy passage. And uh, it's like some fireworks going off. When you look at this passage, man, I see, I don't know what you see, I see a controversial Jesus. He is like in their face. And this is Jesus talking to the religious leaders at the time. And I don't know if you noticed, but he's just taking them to task. The first words that come out of his mouth is, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, you hypocrites? Holy smokes, what's going on here? Um, these men, they were Pharisees. They were cultured men, scribes. Uh, they would copy down uh, documents. They would copy down the Bible. They didn't have a printer. They couldn't just hit print. So scribes, they would spend their days copying down the whole Bible. Uh, they were cultured men. These were learned men. They were uh, city leaders. And in many ways, they were government officials. And in a lot of ways, they were tyrants. And Jesus just lays into them. Look at this verse. This is verse 6. Just look at this. This is what, from what we just said. These are the words that comes out of Jesus' mouth. So they say, hey, you're not washing your hands. And he, this is the first thing he says. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? It is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. That's like Jesus, that last line, that's Jesus using sarcasm. That's wild. This is crazy. Okay, have any of you guys watched a fight before? Not like a fight on TV, but a fight between friends where they're like going after each other. Not necessarily like, like a fist fight, but they are just verbally. And have you guys, how many of you guys have witnessed that? And you're just a bystander, just watching the fireworks. Have you guys ever done that? Have you, have you been that person where you're just like, this is so cool. Maybe there's somebody next to you and you're like, this is awesome. You know, as they're just like going after it. Okay, so we're kind of looking at it. And I, when I think the disciples, what were they doing while Jesus was like going after these guys? They were sitting there. They were watching Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I ate too much of that. Oh, man. Okay, just give me a second. This was crazy. The disciples were watching fireworks happen. What is going on here? Um, I was watching this show, and um, maybe you guys have seen this before. Um, but uh, this guy, he is really famous by having lots of drama on his TV show, and there's always like a big crowd. Okay, I'll just admit what it is. This is Jerry Springer. How many of you guys have seen that show before? That's literally what I think of, okay, when I think about this story, okay? So like, there's all these people in this audience, and I was watching this clip this last week. I don't even know how I got watching it, but, and um, there's this girl, this girlfriend, right? And she's got a boyfriend, and her sister's been telling her that she's been cheating on him. And this is in front of a televised audience, okay? There's people out here, it's being televised, and, and uh, so she comes up on stage, and she says, yeah, my sister's been, you know, telling me that he's been cheating on me, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they bring the sister out. And, and she's like, I don't believe her. I trust, you know, my, my guy friend. And then uh, the sister comes out. And then in front of everybody, she starts saying to them, and everybody's just eating the popcorn, right? They're just like, this is crazy. This is nuts. And she's just like, hey, he's, he's doing this. We know he is. And she's like, no, I believe him. And then they bring out the guy, right? And it's like, what is going on? Is this real? This is nuts. They bring out the guy. And the guy goes and says, I would never. I would never. I love you. Like, this is never. And so it's like, and, and then they, uh, he and the sister are kind of going after it in front of everybody too. And it's kind of crazy, you know? And everybody's watching this and it's like on front of everybody. And then they bring the girl out. Yeah, they brought the girl out. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I did it. 
And everybody's like, what? And, they, and there's like hair pulling, and they're like fighting each other. There's, there's punching. They're on the ground, and everybody's just, and this is so crazy. They're saying, Jerry, 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 in the background. That's crazy. And honestly, I, I think of that when I think of this passage. What's going on? Have, have you guys ever read a passage, and then you just sit back and think about it for a second, and you're like, what is going on here? This is kind of nuts. This is not the typical Jesus that we think of. This is not, you know, meek and mild. This is not healing people. This is, he's got, he's got a problem with these people. You know, I, I, I brought up just at the beginning that this is a passage about loyalty. And what's interesting is this is a battle going on, right? There is these group of men, these Pharisees and these scribes, they have this idea about God and they're, cut, they're bringing it to Jesus. And Jesus has been watching them his whole life. All of his growing up years, he would go down to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover with his parents. And he would talk with the religious leaders. And he was watching the Pharisees all of his life. He was seeing how the Pharisees were misleading people, how they were using people in many ways, and how they were adding to God's word. And what's so crazy is when the pressure comes on, this is a pressure situation. What I found about loyalty and being loyal to anyone when it comes to loyalty and when it comes to compromise, when the pressure comes on, that's when you'll know. That's when you'll know, right? When the pressure comes on, we can all say, oh yeah, I'm loyal to Jesus. We can all say, oh yeah, I would never leave him. But isn't it interesting that when Jesus was being uh, handed over to, to be on trial and he was handed over to be crucified, all his disciples left. Man, when the pressure's on, then we'll know where loyalty is. That's true in your and my life. And that's true in this passage. This is an amazing, this is just an explosion that's happening. What is going on here? Imagine the disciples watching this, eating popcorn, and how is Jesus tethering his disciples to him as they watch this? How is Jesus tethering you and me to him as we read this? Usually, and this is what I've noticed, when it comes to compromise, usually compromise happens before a word is said. Before the battle's engaged, we compromise. Because we don't want the battle. Because we don't like the battle. Because the battle's uncomfortable. But Jesus goes right into the battle. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes, after I get done reading the Bible, I'm like, what would the average person think of this? Would they be shocked by what they read? Would they see the tension in the text? Would they be bored? Would they have questions? I think most people totally would misunderstand this passage because they've got lots of mischaracterizations, misconceptions about God. People have all sorts of wild ideas about God. I'm not sure if you've talked to people or had gospel conversations with people, but there's all sorts of crazy ideas about God. Um, our ideas of God must be forged in the fires of his word. You know when you read this passage... Some of our ideas about God have to change because Jesus isn't just this kind person. He was kind. He was extremely kind. But our ideas of God must be forged by the fires of God's word. Man, there's so much weird stuff in God's word. And it's so easy to just be like, God's a God of love, which that's true. But does it stop there? Hard truths are in God's word. And if you don't open God's word, then your theology will never be challenged. And our idea of God will be sick and stagnant. It will be your own formula of what God is rather than God's real nature. You see, being tethered to God takes work. And there are so many things that are trying to untether us from God. I believe that God placed this specific point in Jesus' life in the Bible to help us retether ourselves to him. God wants to teach us as he was teaching his disciples, and he wants us to know that we must be loyal to him. When the pressure starts in your and my life, when the pressure starts, the question is, will she be loyal? Will he be loyal? So let's pray together. God, um, I just thank you for this morning. Thank you again for these graduates. I pray now as we 
go through this passage and as we talk um, about you and, and how you were responded here and what is going on in this passage, I just pray that you would speak through your word. God, I pray that you get me out of the way. And Jesus, I pray more than anything else that no matter how much pressure we are put under as Christians, whether the pressure comes from ourselves, our own sinful nature, and the pressure to give in and cave in to sin, whether the pressure comes from outside of us, and what do people think of us, and should we stand up for our faith, or an expectation or standard, this is how they should act, they shouldn't act like this. God, I pray that we would be loyal to you. I pray that you would break down every lofty imagination that, that, that rises, raises itself against you and against your glory, God. Use us, use your word, glorify Jesus. We pray that in your name, amen. All right, so we're going to go through this passage. There's three foundations to understanding Jesus' loyalty. Did you know Jesus was loyal to his father? There's all sorts of uh, verses that I could bring up, but there's parts of, of, um, of the Gospels where Jesus says, I do nothing of what I do, but I only do what the father tells me to do. He was in constant communion, and he was loyal to him, all the way to the point of death, that he... In the garden, he was praying. Do you remember? He was on his knees in the garden. And he was praying and he said, Father, please let this cup pass from me. But in the end, not my will, but yours be done. He had this radical, radical loyalty. And so I wanted to start off by doing three foundations of understanding Jesus' loyalty. And then we're going to see three things that undermined our loyalty from the passage, okay? So the first one is, loyalty to Christ leads to controversy, Loyalty to Christ leads to controversy. Jesus was a man of controversy. I just remember several weeks back um, when Jesus cast the demons out of the dude, that, that crazy guy, right? Jesus cast the demons out of him, and then they went into the pigs, went into the sea. Do you remember that? And then all the people were like, Jesus, what are you doing? Please leave, right? And it's like, whoa, that's interesting. Here Jesus is going after these Pharisees. And if you honestly, if you think about his life, there's all sorts of things, all sorts of people where he was extremely gentle with them, that he loved them. But then there's all sorts of times where there's this other side of Jesus. Jesus isn't so simple. He's not this, this 2D character. But then he had this other side also where he was very stern and he disciplined and he, he corrected and he even went after people who were deceiving at times. And he, he was very rough with them. Jesus was a man of controversy. Man, I've got popcorn in my teeth. This is crazy. Um, that didn't go exactly how I thought, but it went pretty close. So, um, But all the way up to Jesus' death, right? Jesus died. Like, I just imagine, you know, him going into Jerusalem. He's riding on that donkey. And thousands of people, you know, the triumphal entry. He had everyone right? Is this, they were ready to crown him the king. And then just a week later, he's put through a kangaroo court, abused, beaten, and then he dies on a Roman executionary cross. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Sometimes we have these misconceptions. But guys, loyalty to Christ will lead you to controversy. I think the 11th commandment of Christians is thou shalt be kind. Which it is true. We should be very kind. That's one thing that I'm working on with my kids. They need to be kind to each other. There's an aspect, man, we need to be kind. But is it kindness at, at any cost? Do we ever stand for anything? And I believe that if you're a Christian worth anything, you got to stand for something. And if you're loyal to Jesus, it will lead you inevitably to a conflict. Maybe that conflict will be in your family. Maybe there's something going on there. There's a deep problem. Loyalty to God, not, not in a rough way, not in, not in a, you know, overly aggressive way. I mean, be kind to them, walk with them, but it's like, you got to address that. It'll lead you into that conflict. If you have a child that's disobeying you, God wants you to draw you in to a resolution of that but there's going to be a conflict there. 
with your spouse. God wants you to engage, and that will involve a conflict. Yeah, you got to do it, you know? We can't be so, so many times in our Christian walks, we just avoid all controversy. And when I read this passage, that was not Jesus. That was not Jesus. He confronted sin. He called out the religious leaders. They plotted to kill him. And that was true of the disciples afterwards. Man, if you read about Paul, everywhere he went, there was a riot. It's crazy. It's like, what are you doing, Paul? I firmly believe that no church would hire Paul. No one would. This guy is like, everybody would be talking bad about the church. What are you doing, Paul? Are you nuts? Interesting. Things to think about. People asked him to leave. Ultimately, he was crucified. The disciples had to know this. Life was not going to be controversy-free. And I want you to know that too as a Christian. Life is not going to be controversy-free. In fact, if it, if it was, then they're not doing their job. If there's no controversy in your life, if literally everybody speaks well of you, everybody, something's wrong. This verse comes to my mind is from the Beatitudes, this lovely part where Jesus is talking about what it means to be blessed in, in our life and to, to have a heavenly blessing in our life. Not an earthly blessing, but a heavenly blessing. So this is from uh, Luke chapter 6. He says this, And he lifted up his eyes to his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you who... Oh, wait, wait, I said that wrong. Blessed are you when people hate you. Whoa, what? Yeah, it says that. That's interesting. Huh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you. Holy smokes, this Jesus thing. What the world are they calling us to? And spurn you your name is evil. Spurn your name as evil. Oh, what the world? This is in the Beatitudes? On account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For their fathers did also to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all, this is the key verse, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You know what I think is true about these Pharisees and these scribes? No one spoke ill of them. And Jesus saw it. They never truly knew God. They never truly loved people. And even though they had this veneer, this religious veneer that they loved people, that they followed God, that they knew the right way, imagine Jesus watching this his entire life, seeing these religious leaders. His disciples are, are sitting there. Now they're seeing it. Our loyalty to, to Jesus should arouse, arouse all sorts of passions in us. When we see sin, oh, it should break our hearts. God is angered towards sin. Hmm. So, number one, this is true of Jesus' loyalty to his Father, that our loyalty to Jesus should drop, bring us into conflict. The second one, God's law sets the bounds of loyalty. This is a key, key one. God's law sets the bound of loyalty. They're talking about the law. Now, this passage, it starts off and these Pharisees come and they say, oh, wait, why don't you wash your hands? Okay, there's this law, right? And then Jesus says that, hey, you're following all these silly commands, these commands made by people, and you're denying the commands of God. God's law is so important to our Christian walks today. Um, I think it's very popular to, um, we all understand this, 
But there's certain little phrases that people can use that can like totally knock us off and like totally disable us. And we're like, what? A phrase that people say often, which is true in a sense. They'll say, we're not under law, we're under grace. We've all heard that. And it's true. It is so true. In Galatians, they're talking about there's this law of ordinances and commands that we're no longer under because it was fulfilled in Christ. But it's also true, and all of us would say, that our Christian walk has a lot of laws. And we do them, the law is a window into God's heart. And so in the end, we don't do these rules in order to just do the rules, to just follow the laws, but we do them because we're in relationship with God and we want to honor him with our life. And so God says, thou shalt not commit sexual sin. And so out of honor and loyalty to him, we avoid those things. So yes, it's true we're not under the law in the sense that we are justified by the law, but it is very true that the Ten Commandments, they still apply. God's law marks out what sin is and what righteousness is, and it's so, so, so important. Don't forget about that, young person, graduate, that God's law is important, and it is to be your standard, not what your heart says, not what society says, but God's law and his word. Christ came to fulfill the law. This is an awesome passage right after the Beatitudes. It says, this is Matthew chapter 5. It says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. This is Jesus saying this, in case more proof is needed. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Wow, strong words. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Man, God's law should move us. Not, not out of doing the thing, but out of love for him, out of faithfulness to Jesus. Um, God hates, another point is, God hates evil. That's one thing that the, the Ten Commandments talk to us about. Uh, right now, one of the new Bible stories that I've shared with Seasons, as she goes to sleep every night, I give her at least two Bible sto- stories every night. From my memory, I kind of craft the story in a super easy way to understand. And one of them is the Ten Commandments and the Golden Calf. It's a good story, right? This is the passage, this is from Exodus chapter 32. So Moses, he just has brought God's people out of the land of Egypt. They walk over the Red Sea on dry land, which is pretty sweet. My kiddos always love that, right? You know the waters. And um, they get across to the other side. Then they, they go to Mount Sinai, and he, Moses, gets the Ten Commandments, talks with God. While he's up on the mountain, the people gather together all their, their gold and stuff like that, and they make an idol, All right, so let's look at verse 7 here. This is from Exodus chapter 32. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought. He's like disowning them. I love the language. (laughs) He says, go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. This is God talking to Moses. (laughs) I just think that's funny. uh, Sometimes I feel like God talks to me like that. You, you know. Uh, but no, God loves us too. I mean, don't, sometimes we can fall off the horse on the other side, right? And we're like, God, God's a wrathful God. God, God has wrath. That is true. And that's what we see in this passage. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I've commanded them. There's a command, right? And have made for themselves a golden calf and worshiped it and sacrificed to it. They just brought, God just brought them out of Egypt and they saw all these miracles And here they are, sacrificing to an idol. Um, And they say to it, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord says to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, 
Let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and that I might consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. He, so God's ready to get rid of the Israelites and to make a nation out of Moses. Why? Because, because they spurned that relationship, but also because they disobeyed. One of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. It's a, it's a schoolmaster to teach us how we are to have a relationship with God. Is God's law. Loyalty is not from your feelings, or your loyalty should not be your feelings or your heart. It should be something outside of yourselves. And that's what we believe as, a Christ, as a Christians. We believe in a standard that's outside of ourselves. Loyal, now here's the third point. So the first point is that loyalty should lead us into conflict, some sort of conflict. Number two is that God's law is central to us knowing what loyalty is. It marks out the boundary. And the, second, and the third one, the foundations of what, what makes, what was Christ's loyalty like? The third one is, loyalty to Christ is about your heart. Loyalty to Christ is about your heart. Are you merely doing good things or are you honoring Jesus? Because the law is a window into God's heart. God says so, for instance, um, this is stuff that I tell seasons all the time. Why is stealing wrong? You know, because God said it. Well, why did he say it? The reason why stealing is wrong and the reason why God put thou shalt not steal in the Bible is because God is not a thief. It's his own character. And so you look through the commandment, and you see into the heart of God. Very, very interesting when you start doing stuff like that. Very instructive. Thou shalt not lie. God wants us to be like him. Not that we can achieve, you know, perfection, but God wants us to be holy like he is holy. And so when God says thou shalt not lie, God doesn't want you to lie because God himself is not a liar. Maybe you haven't thought about this, but when it says I pulled this on my daughter a couple times already, but where it says, thou, thou shalt honor your father and your mother, which we'll get to that in this passage. Thou shalt honor your father and mother. Why did God say that? Isn't it so interesting? It speaks to something about God's heart, where Jesus honored his father, honored this authority in his life, and how it's so critical for our children to honor their parents. And isn't it sin to just tear it all down? Just despise your parents. Count their advice as nothing. When you sing a song, is it just singing words or are you connecting with Jesus? In, normally, and I feel like this is true, generally of churches, the smallest meeting in the church is often the prayer meeting. Why is that? Well, how popular is God to you? Loyalty to Christ is about your heart. Jesus was a loyal person to his father. He was loyal to a person. And we are to be loyal not to an idea, not to a concept, but to a person. When we violate his command, we grieve a person. We're to get in right relationship with a person. So, um, from Mark 7, 7, this is from our passage. This person honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, could we just get the passage up here, starting in uh, verse 1? I'm going to chunk through this. So we've got the three foundations. Now we've got the three things that undermine our loyalty. And these are the things, man, the disciples, they're eating popcorn. They're watching this happen. You and I, were watching this happen. Holy smokes, this is a crazy thing happening. So it starts off. Now the Pharisees were gathered to him, and the scribes who had come from Jerusalem Jerusalem was a long ways. They came all the way from Jerusalem. And they saw some of his disciples, and they saw that their hands were unwashed. This is some remnants of the ceremonial law. Now, one thing that we believe is that there are large portions of the Old Testament law that, that carry forward to today, that Jesus cites. Um, so some people say, oh, all the law is gone. I wouldn't go there. But there are certain things that were put in there as merely an instruction to show that where's your heart at. And so there was all these ceremonial washings and stuff like that. And these things grew over time in, in the tradition. 
And so they saw the disciples, and when they said that they haven't washed their hands, they're not like every mom in the universe where the kids come out of, you know, playing outside, and she's like, wash your hands. You know, that's not what they were saying. They were saying that they were unclean. This is like a old school, Old Testament, interesting thing that they're bringing to Jesus. Now, Jesus' disciples, they did not do that. But here they were, here the Pharisees were, still clinging to these, these shadows from the Old Testament. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, so it explains, which is really cool. I love it that this Bible verse, it just explains exactly what is going on here. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. What happened was tradition is passed on from elder and elder and it grew. And it's also true if you look at, uh, study modern Judaism, it's grown like that, where now it's rabbinic, it's their teachings, it's the teachings of all these people. It's not necessarily like we do and always try to get back to the Bible. It's they cite the teachers as authoritative. Really different, really interesting. And when they come from the marketplace, because there's lots of unclean people at the marketplace, for sure when they go to the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe. The washing of cups and pots and copper vessels. You can just see the the rules just multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. So the first thing that undermines our loyalty, and when you look at this, this passage, the Pharisees and their problem. They had a problem. What was wrong with the Pharisees? A lot of times people will say, oh, you're being Pharisaical or something like that because you're following rules. No, it's not that we're following rules that's the problem. It's not that the Pharisees were following rules that were the problem. It was these rules were excess, that they were traditions of men, that they were things added on to the Bible, especially so that they conflicted with God's word. Sometimes tradition can do that. Tradition can separate us from God because it creates these barriers. It's these useless things of religion that say, oh, I've done this, so that means I'm saved. But we all know that's false. Nothing that we do can get us right standing before God. It's only through what Jesus did and what he did alone that gets us salvation. So if you believe in any tradition that says you have to do this in order to be saved, it's wrong. It's the same thing as the Pharisees, unclean. You have to get yourself clean by doing this. It's this idea of getting close to God by way of not Jesus, by way of, I've, I've heard this said a million times, Oh, I've been baptized. That means I'm saved. I'm not sure about that. I mean, it could be true, but your baptism isn't what saves you. It's a sign and a seal. It's what Jesus commanded you. It's obedience, but that's not what saves you. Jesus saves you. Oh, I went through this class. Well, no. Oh, I go to church. Oh, I'm a nice person. A lot of times we think the Pharisees, oh, they were these interesting, we do it too. We do it too. We have these religious traditions that build up. And what's interesting about our loyalty, our loyalty to Jesus will keep us free from those things. If we continue to go back to his word, focus on what he says. So the Pharisees and their problem, that can undermine our loyalty to Jesus. The second one is crusty religion, and he cites a passage here. So this is where Jesus says, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. What happens here? It's this crusty religion that happens, distorted gospel. Um, And you'll be able to notice this. And and students, as you go to college, watch out for this, this crusty religion. This, uh, a lot of times what happens is the gospel gets distorted in some way. Where I saw this, (laughs) think about this, um, there was this TV program that came up one day, and um, 
it was, it was this guy, and he was like, hey, look, I've got this holy water. You call this number, 855-655-99999. Check this out. Get this. It's holy water. You'll get it. And man, your life will never be the same. And there's, I never forget this commercial. It's crazy. How many of you guys have seen a commercial like this? And then the guy says, uh, they, they have a testimonial. And there's this lady, and she says, I got the water just like Pastor so-and-so said. And man, as soon as I drank that water, oh, we closed on our house. And we got all this, and we got money, and oh, this is awesome. And it's crazy. Adding to the gospel. Distorted gospel. All sorts of weird Twisted things can happen. Crusty religion. Watch out for that. Make sure, man, it's just a relationship with God. It's just diving into his word. That's what it's all about. It's about submitting yourself to his lordship. Um, compromise to sin. Crusty religion. Compromise to sin. A lot of times when people will say, oh, the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice. What that will do is it will cause you to compromise and whole churches. So seniors, avoid churches that compromise because of niceness sake. Because they don't want to stir up a controversy like Jesus. Jesus lets it all hang out. Sometimes we're folk, we're, we have to compromise to sin. Or we, we feel like we have to compromise to sin rather. But crusty religion can get like that. Because if you compromise the sin enough, it changes whole church's doctrines. And then after a while, the glory of the Lord has departed that church. Used for manipulation. I think that this is true. When you think about um, sometimes relig crusty religion, it can be used uh, for manipulation. I just think of the money changers that Jesus goes into the temple and flips off. There. That's like, whoa, here comes Jesus again. He makes a whip and he flips these tables. Holy smokes. Number two, crusty religion. The third one was Pharisees. Now he goes on, and I want to read the, the last part of this and just explain just a little bit. And he said to them, this is verse nine. So this is from the passage, verse nine. You have a fine way of rejecting the command, command of God in order to establish your tradition. And it's very interesting where he goes here. Very instructive. And this is a very interesting verse. I sat and just thought about this for a long time. What is going on here? But notice what it says. For he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That's from Exodus. But you say, so he cites God's law. So this is an argument about God's law. Very important. Jesus Follow God's law perfectly. Whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that is handed down as many and many such things you do. What is it saying here? This is a, I was reading some commentaries, and the commentaries were saying that that verse about honoring your father and mother, it wasn't only about children obeying their parents, but it's actually, as your parent gets older, you should care for them. You should be invested in them. You shouldn't just send them out to pasture. Interesting. What was happening was these people were looking for an excuse. And sometimes it's great, right? You want to sin. And then it's even greater if your church agrees with you. And the church was saying, hey, what you have, if you say it's korban, and it's given to God, then you don't have to, hey, it's given to God. I can't give to you, mom. I can't give to you, dad. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Isn't that interesting? Pharisees, they, and this is true of any unbeliever. An unbeliever is, is blind, ultimately. They can't, they don't see right. All they see is their sin and their own desires. This is what the Bible teaches. They're blind, that, that their heart is hardened. So as they're talking to them, and this might be one thing that could undermine your loyalty. If you talk to an unbeliever, you have to realize that they see, but they don't see. 
that their, their hearts are hard, and that there can even be such thing as a wolf. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus was harsh with these guys, because they were actually wolves. Students, there are actually people out there that want to deceive you. Interesting. Corban, we should honor our parents, but they were using religion to, don't think about that. So many ways that people use religion to justify sin nowadays. So I want to land this, and I want to go somewhere. Um, And this is where I want to go. Maybe you're thinking right now, hey, I want to be loyal to Jesus. What's a couple quick things that can help me be more loyal to Jesus? When the pressure comes, and I feel like, man, I don't want to even engage, and I want to compromise, before a word is said, what's one thing that I can do? Or here's three things, really quickly. How can you be loyal to Jesus? Remember these. And students, remember these. How can you be loyal to Jesus as you leave here and you walk by yourself in large part through your life? God's words over our opinions. God's word over our opinions. There's all sorts of opinions that are going to fly. All sorts of ideas. Here's an idea. And it might be even your idea. But how many times have you gone to God's word, first of all, to get God's thoughts on it? Very, very important. God's words over your opinions. Honestly, if some, somebody says something, who says? They're just a person. I want to go to God's word. This is why God's word is so important. We should study it. We should strive after it. It'll save us so much pain. It'll save us so much problems. And here's a question. Do you have a verse for that? Somebody has an opinion, ask them this. Do you have a verse for that? Or is that just your opinion? Second one. So the first one, God's word over your opinions. So important. Go to God's word. Always, first of all. The second one is God's commands are a window to his heart. And I said this just a little bit. But I want to ask you this. As you read God's word and even those hard parts in Exodus where it's like his rules and stuff like that, I want you to pray this as you read that and ask God, God, show me the glory in your rules. David, the psalmist, would say, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Isn't that interesting? That Old Testament. Very interesting, interesting, interesting. Why did he love God's commands? Because they were a window into God's heart. And I think you realize this as you get older. The great weakness of being young is you haven't lived enough. You haven't seen the results of sin. And so when I read these commandments, I look at my daughter, I say, oh, I hope you get this down quick, right? All your parents, they're praying for you. A lot of times sin catches us because we have not experienced the cost of it yet. And we're just, oh, that's a good idea. It's a shiny object, right? Oh, that's great. Your parents, they have lived this. And what's interesting is, the older you are, the more you appreciate God's commands. The younger you are, you tend not to. tend to blow them off. So God's commands are a window to his heart. Know that. The third one is, God's narrative in our mind has to be stronger than the world's narrative. This is probably the most crucial thing. If you want to be loyal to Jesus, a narrative is like a story being told over and over again. I'm told lots of narratives. Um, One narrative that I'm told, oh man, there's a million. It's a story being told like, this is what you should believe. This is what you should believe. The world is telling you, this is what you should believe. This is what you should believe. It comes out through the news. It comes out through your friends. It comes out through school. It comes out, it's a narrative. Social media. It's like a hammer that hammers down a nail. It's going constantly. It's like a drum beat. And what's interesting is, if you are on social media forever, the narrative takes over your mind, Right? And what's so interesting is, what, why do we gather together on Sunday mornings? One of the purposes is to, is to start a counter-narrative. 
we come here and we sing songs and we, glor- and, we, and we glorify God and then we read his word. Why do we do all those things? Because a counter-narrative has to be played. Something, we have to like, there's this battle going on between me and you where it's this narrative of sin. It's our own sinfulness. It's like this thing, it's, it's trying to take over and, and there's this world's narrative and there's all this stuff and it's this narrative that's beating and it's beating and then we think, oh, if you come to church once a week, you're great. If you come to church once a week and that's the extent of your spiritual walk, you will not be any different than the world. I just want you to receive that in Jesus' name. If you do nothing outside of just a one drum beat a week, this isn't a guilt thing, this is a reality thing. The narrative of the world will take you And this is what I see in students every day. The narrative has taken them. Think about that. Think about that. Loyalty requires a constant connection tethered to him. Let's pray. God, I thank you. (coughs) As we read this verse and as we look at, man, what is Jesus doing here? A lot of things come to mind. God, why did he act like this? What, What is going on here? And God, I just pray maybe there is somebody in this room that's feeling pressure on them, that's feeling a pressure to compromise. God, I pray in Jesus' name that they would not compromise, but they would lovingly, graciously, and in your name enter into that, into, into that situation, accepting the, the conflict that will come, and that they would do what you are calling them to do. God, if, if it could be said of us, man, I'm not really persecuted for Jesus at all. I pray, not not that somebody would go out looking for it, but that you would give us a deep understanding and that we would actually try to share the gospel and that we would do the things that you've commanded us to do. And you know what? It'll be funny. The conflict will come. And God, I thank you for the joy. Lord, I love it how you say it. For the joy left before, uh, the, the joy in front of you, Jesus, you bore the punishment on the cross despising the shame, and you died for us, Jesus, for the hope that was set before you, for the joy that was set before you. And God, I pray that the joy within us would outshine anything else, any want to compromise, any want for just to ride easy. Jesus, thank you for your word. I thank you for how it corrects us, it guides us. We pray this in your name. Amen.